0: As we just briefly reflect on this passage and think what it means for us, we celebrate the fact that Jesus, you did indeed rise from the dead, and we and the church are testimony to that. Amen. Um, I was saying at St. Tom's this morning, um, it's kind of a bittersweet moment when you get to the end of a really, really good book. Um, You kind of get to that moment where everything's finally unveiled, you work out who... Uh, who was the kind of murderer or uh, kind of all the threads that weave in together kind of get unraveled and you suddenly understand what's been going on in the whole story and there's a great sense of oh that's brilliant But also almost a bit of sadness that you've come to the end of the book. I've said this before. My dad, who loves to read—I mean, he he devours books. He is shocking in that, and I've seen him. This is true. He will go into uh, so an airport if he's buying a book for a flight, or if he wants to buy a book for a holiday. Go into Smiths, and he'll he'll pick up a book. He'll look at the front picture. He'll look at the blur bit on the back, and then he reads the last five or six pages. Of every book that he buys to make sure that it's got an okay ending, which is, I think, that's outrageous. And genuinely, he does this, and he has done it for years and years and years. And he's 86 now, so I think he's probably entitled to do what he wants, really. But it kind of, it, it kind of slightly boggles me. But he wants to know that the ending is going to be a good ending, a happy ending, or a kind of, and so he reads those pages. And in a sense, with this kind of Matthew's Gospel, and with the Gospel, you get to this point of the story. And it's kind of almost like the conclusion. The whole of the accounts—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—in a sense are leading up to um, the, the kind of crucifixion, the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and then the, the kind of resurrection story. And it kind of almost feels like, yeah, that's what it's for. That's the end of the story. But also, in a sense, what Matthew is saying in this passage is, no, 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 that's not the end. This is just the beginning. And this is the beginning of the story and the message that needs to be passed on to others and others and others, and the ripples go out through time and through history. We've been through uh, 40 days of Lent. Many of us, many of you, I should say, have given up lots of things, uh, whether it's chocolate or um, wine or alcohol or or you've just given up for Lent, whatever it is. Many people have kind of had that long pause heading up to, to Easter, and then kind of finally you get to Easter, Easter day, and you can kind of start eating your chocolate eggs with reckless abandonment. And it's the, the fulfilment of that phrase, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. But the point of Matthew's story is to say, no, this isn't the end. And for us as Christians, this isn't the end. The cross isn't the end. The cross is the beginning of the story of our own lives. And so for these women, for these women, as they get to the tomb, they think it's all over. They've kind of had this exciting life where they kind of sense that God was doing something amazing and suddenly it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. And so the two Marys approach the tomb expecting to see simply a tomb, uh, at the final resting place of Jesus, the kind of end of the road, the end of the story. But when they get there, there's, there's a message that greets them. First, they feel a message. I said this morning there's the earthquake that we're told about. That's just in Matthew's Gospel. There's a kind of The ground is shaken. Um, an angel appears and the kind of stole is rolled away. So first they feel a message, then they see the message, they see the angel there. Um, The Greek word angelos literally means a messenger. That's where we get the word messenger from. And and in this case, it's a divine messenger, it's an angel. And then, of course, he gives them the message. They hear the message. I don't know if you noticed that bit, Sarah, this is kind of comical detail in Matthew where it says the angel came down rolled the stone away and then very casually just sits on the stone looking a bit pleased with himself perhaps and kind of I love the fact he's just leaning back going yeah come on, cool hey this is great just casually leaning on the stone and and he meets Mary and Mary at that moment and gives them this message don't be afraid as I've often said whenever angels meet people in the bible It's what they're told, the first lesson in angel school is when you meet a human, the first thing you need to say is, guys, don't freak out, it's okay, don't be afraid. So sure enough, this angel meets Mary and Mary Mary here and says, don't be afraid. It's it's ironic as well that, in in a sense, fear is a really strong part of this story. When the two uh, soldiers who are there, when the earthquake comes and the angel comes and rolls away the stone, they they ironically fall dead almost at the tomb's entrance, paralysed by fear. And these angels say to Mary and Mary, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who, who was crucified. He's not here. And this, this message that they get, and they're told to go and share this message, is, is the beginning, the first chain of messages that go out. Go and tell the good news. Go and be messengers that actually Jesus isn't here. He's not in a tomb. You won't find a tomb anywhere marked. This is Jesus' burial place because it's empty. There is no tomb. Jesus is alive. Go and tell everyone. Go quickly. Go quickly and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you'll see him. This is my message for you. And they're told to go and actually of course on the way again we heard that actually Jesus himself appears to them and repeats the message, go and tell my brothers, in the Greek it's, it's plural, it's brothers and sisters, go and tell my family really, go to go to Galilee. And that's an interesting message in itself, go to Galilee. I was saying this morning, what's the significance of Galilee? Well earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel of course is the Gospel of the Kingdom. And earlier in Matthew 4, and he's quoting from Isaiah, he, calls, he refers to Galilee as Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, and it became kind of it was known as the doorway to the world. And so the significance for the disciples is go to Galilee because the gospel, this good news that Jesus is risen from the dead, is not it's not just for Israel, it's not just for the Jews, but actually this is to go to the nations, to the whole world. Now of course you and I are beneficiaries of that, but at the time, no one would have understood that. The good news of the Messiah coming was for the Jewish nation. That's what everyone thought. That's what these early Christians, these first Christians thought, well, this is, this is great news for Israel. This is freedom for us. But right here, Jesus is saying, no, 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 this isn't just for Israel. This isn't just for the Jews. This message of a resurrected Jesus is for the whole world. It's great news for the entire world. And we're told clearly that later that the women do deliver that message because the, the disciples, the 11 disciples, do indeed go to uh, Galilee. Some 2,000 years later, today, it's amazing to think, literally, despite what you might read or see in the Daily Mail and other newspapers, actually Christianity isn't on the decline. It's incredible, the growth of Christianity, particularly in African countries, particularly across parts of Asia, South America, incredible revivals, often under incredible persecution. Yes, Europe is sadly, in many ways, the dark continent, but God's not done with the church here. God is doing some exciting new things. And the truth is, some 2,000 years later, the church is growing. God's spirit is moving and brooding over the church. Church is rediscovering what it truly means to be church. Not an institution that's fixed into kind of rules and buildings, but a people movement of people who understand the truth that Jesus is alive and Jesus is wanting to break out into the world around. And so today, literally hundreds of millions of people will have been celebrating the truth that Jesus is alive, that he has been ra- raised from the dead. And so those women are told very simply, the resurrection's not explained to them theologically, the mechanics aren't explained to them practically, they are simply told, go and tell the people that Jesus is risen. It's a really, really simple message. And in many ways, it's a really, really simple message for us. That hasn't changed at all. He is risen. And as I was thinking about today, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I think we live in a really uncertain world right now, actually. There's a lot of things, rightly, to be concerned with. For many people, it's a time of real fear. As we look at Syria you know, yesterday, that atrocity with, you know, 100, approaching 100 people killed, s- refugees trying to escape. The innocent slaughtered. Uncertainty about what's going to happen next in Syria. What's going to happen with the Russians and with America. How do they fit into it? And what about North Korea? You know, it, depending on which newspaper or headlines you read, World War Three could break out tomorrow, seemingly. There's such uncertainty. What's going to happen with North Korea, South Korea, with Japan? How would China respond? What might Trump do next? No one quite knows. And what about all the Russian hacking of elections and cyber kind of warfare that's going on? There's a global threat of terror. And that translates as terror on our own doorsteps, in our own cities, on our own streets. It's a really uncertain world we live in. It's vulnerable, feels vulnerable in many ways, and unsteady. And what does that mean for us? Well, here in this story, we have two women who are feeling pretty hopeless and broken. After the crucifixion, the religious authorities, they posted guards at the tomb. They've sealed the tomb with a Roman seal. The reason being, they'd heard rumours that there might be a resurrection and they wanted to thought anything to do with that. And so they post guards there to try and prevent any, any thought of even that. But the God who shakes the earth can't be stopped by armed guards and an official seal. And fear is nothing new. If you think right back to the beginning of the gospel narrative, if you think right back to the beginning of Jesus' birth, it was a culture of darkness and fear. Babies were slaughtered by a king who lived in fear that this new king that was coming was going to usurp him. And you remember the threats against Mary and Joseph. So there was a culture of fear there and they had to escape through Egypt. There's fear around for the disciples. They're in hiding, hidden away. Lots of deaths. But out of that comes resurrection hope. Out of that comes life. Out of that comes breakthrough and freedom from fear. And So the angel says says to these women, and actually in the Greek, if you read the Greek, what he's actually doing, he's pointing at the Roman soldiers who have fallen on the floor in fear. And the actual So when he says to them, do not be afraid, the actual implication is he's pointing at them saying, don't be afraid like them. Don't be like them. Don't be afraid like them. You don't need to be afraid. It's not a command, you shouldn't be afraid. It's a kind of urging from the heart of God saying, these guys are terrified. But you don't need to be afraid because Jesus Christ is risen. And for us, that's the same message. That in a world of fear and darkness, our voice as people of hope needs to be heard and needs to be seen. And it's not foolish naivety. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be alright all the time. As I say, we live in a time of unprecedented Christian persecution. Even the papers are now beginning to report that. There's more Christians being persecuted and martyred now than any other time in history. So it doesn't mean that everything is always going to be alright in that way, but the truth is, ultimately, God is the victor, and in him there is hope. There's good news, good news for the world, and it's good news that the world really, really, really needs to hear. And so Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who from the other gospel accounts we can tell is actually Jesus' mother. It's interesting, just referred to here, not in her biological term as as the the mother of Jesus, but actually simply as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Mary Magdalene and Mary. They become the first apostles. We've been thinking about that recently. Two women are the first people sent by Jesus to proclaim the good news. And I love it, because in Jewish culture and in the legal situation there, women's testimony was utterly worthless. Because in, in Jewish culture, you know, J- Jewish religious leaders would pray that, that awful prayer. Thank you, Lord, for, for not making me a Gentile. Thank you for not making me a dog. And thank you for not making me a woman. Women were so down the pecking order that they were seen in many ways as the lowest of the low. And here's Jesus turning that completely on its head again, saying, no, that's not how it is. Maybe in law, women's testimony is absolutely worthless. But the people who I'm entrusting to be my first apostles, remember that word apostle means sent ones, are those two women. And Jesus commissions them and sends them, saying, you don't need to be afraid. I am alive. Go and share that good news. And so they do. They go and share the good news, and the eleven go to to, uh, Galilee, and the rest, as they say, is history. And so what does that mean for us just to close and we're going to take communion in a minute well we live in days of fear and uncertainty vulnerability and I think we need to have an encounter with Jesus in that way as well maybe not appearing right in front of us but we need to hear his words of life saying I am sending you into the world and you don't need to be afraid because I've overcome the world he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world And though storms may come and no difficulties may rage against you. Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. You don't need to be afraid because I'm sending my spirit with you. And just as I sent Mary and Mary as apostles, I'm sending you to your workplaces, to your families, to the streets where you live. Because the amazing thing is God uses flawed people. People are often fearful. People are often confused. People who don't really get it all the time. When Jesus meets those first disciples, he doesn't berate them for their lack of faith. Remember, just a few days earlier, they flee. They deny him. Peter swears, I don't even know the man. He completely is abandoned by them. And yet Jesus goes back to them and restores them and says, it's okay. I want to use you, I can use you, and I will use you. Yes, you betrayed, yes, you abandoned me, but I will never abandon you. And so he restores them and makes them his emissaries, and he trusts them, and that's true for you and for me in these days. We are flawed, we do struggle, we're often fearful perhaps, maybe we've really failed him, but God wants to use us as individuals and as church. Jesus' command to the women becomes a command to all of us. Don't be afraid anymore. God has defeated death, so rejoice. Be a people of joy and share that good news with the world. That's what we're called to do. And that's our Easter message, to go from this place, sharing and proclaiming that good news, both in deed, in word, in action. So I'm going to pray for us as we do that. Let's just pray for a moment.